Hey there, welcome to Bold Is. Have you ever heard of the transfiguration? Do you know what that word even means? Well, if you have, great. And if you haven't, no sweat. We've made it our goal to help you learn the Bible verse by verse, and we started with the book of Mark. Now, it is hard to believe, but we have slowly made our way to chapter 9. If you've not heard the first few chapters of Mark, I highly encourage you to go back and check those out. Okay, listen, I cannot contain my excitement any longer. Let's learn about the transfiguration as well as other things. Are you ready to study Mark chapter 9? You are listening to Bold Is, a ministry podcast training women how to handle the Word of God. Buckle up, sis. It's about to get real. Here's your host, Megan Rawlings. If you're new to our podcast, we are so glad that you're here. Real quick, let me explain how our podcast works. I'll read a passage of scripture and then we break it down as we go. Now, I'll be reading from the English Standard Version, which is also commonly referred to as the ESV today. So if you are interested in following along, use that version. So here's another thing. We don't really know how long Jesus ministered on earth. It may have been for two to three years or longer, but British scholar N.T. Wright argues given that amount of time and the rather limited amount of materials we have in the Gospels, Jesus could have said these things recorded in the New Testament many, many times. Just think of how often a preacher repeats things from the pulpit to the same audience. This is something to think about as we start diving in to Mark chapter 9. So in Mark 9, verse 1, Jesus says, Truly, I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. He also states this in Matthew 16 and Luke 9. What was he referring to? Well, one Bible commentary lists eight different interpretations. Eight different interpretations. <laughs> Woo! Some say he was referring to a second coming. Some say he was referring to God's judgment on the temple, which happened in 70 AD. And some say it is death and resurrection, as some would say he is referring to what is about to happen, which is the transfiguration of Jesus. I'm so excited. <laughs> Following N.T. Wright's point that if Jesus said it once, he may have said it a dozen times or more. So it might mean many things, depending on the context. But in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, he is recorded as saying it right before the transfiguration. So for now, let's assume that's what he was referring to. Verse 2. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, which I want to pause for a second. In Greek, James is Jacob, which sounds like Jacob, not James. And I just wanted somebody to hear that. <laughs> and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah and Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. <laughs> I don't know what to say, so how about I just make you a tent? <laughs> Verse 7. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. 
I just want to make a comment really quick. In verse 7, where God is talking from the cloud, this is my beloved son, listen to him. Listen, that verb is a perfect tense, and it's telling them to continue to listen and do what he says. And I just thought that was really neat. Okay, um, notice that Mark records this um, happening on a high mountain. This is an allusion to Exodus 19 and 20. God descends on a Mount Sinai and forbids anyone to approach except Moses and Aaron. And God then gives the Ten Commandments to Moses, which is the heart of the covenant, right? Now God is preparing a new covenant where only a few disciples are allowed to witness. When it says that Jesus is transfigured before them into purity, showing them who he truly is, But why Moses and Elijah? Well, in his commentary, James Edward argues, following Acts 10.43, that it supports the assertion that all the prophets testified to Jesus or, as John 5.39 records, the law and the prophets testify about me, and Moses and Elijah represent the law and prophets. But it also may point to the fact that it was Moses who led the people out of slavery and Elijah who confronted the false gods of the people of Yahweh. While Peter's response is often thought of as foolish, he was following the Jewish hope that Moses and Elijah would quote-unquote tent or dwell once again with the people of God. Finally, the cloud represents the presence of God. You can see more of that in Exodus 24, 15 through 16. Equally important is the conclusion to 9-7, listen to him. This too recalls a word of Moses. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me. You must listen to him. Remember how I was talking about the Greek? The Greek here is atu akueste. I butchered that. Sorry. That's in Deuteronomy 18.15. Like I said, listen to him in Greek in verse 7 is identical in wording to the Deuteronomy quotation. Gospel of Mark uses some cross-references with Exodus. Imagine that. The book that Moses was in. (laughs) Okay. Moses and Elijah disappear, leaving Jesus alone because he alone is who we need. So what's the deal with this whole transfiguration? It is a preview of Jesus after his death and resurrection as the Lord of the universe. Let's keep going. Verse 9. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. And they asked him, Why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And he said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. And how is it written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you that Elijah has come, and they did to him whatever they pleased." as it is written of him. Despite the glory of the transfiguration, the disciples still do not understand that John the Baptist was the coming of Elijah and that Jesus must die and rise again. Now again, without the Holy Spirit, no one, no one, even those who walked with Jesus, have eyes to see or ears to hear, as we stated last week. And when they came to the disciples, oh, this is verse 14. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. If you don't know what a scribe is, um, they're kind of like what we would call theologians today. Um, They were like 
important people that people listen to. So, um, verse 15. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you for he was for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, Ah, oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him, and when the spirit saw him, immediately convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood, and it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out. And the boy was like a, was like a corpse, so that most of them said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Jesus is confronted by a desperate father. Why could the disciples not exercise the demon? Because it is always an act of God. Only God can defeat Satan. They went on from there and passed through Galilee. And this is verse 30. They went on from there and passed through Galilee. And he did not want anyone to know. For he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days he will rise. But they did not understand the saying and were afraid to ask him. See, Mark records this to emphasize the need to understand the word of God, not as we want to understand it, but as it is. Verse 33, And they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve. And he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all, and servant of all. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them, and taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. Mark makes the point again, the disciples do not understand Jesus because of their own sinful and selfish desires. We can only understand Jesus if we come to him like a child, ready to believe what we hear from an adult without our prejudices and preconceived notions. Verse 38, John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. Listen to that again, because we're going to talk about that. Because he was not following us. Hmm. But Jesus said, Do not stop him, for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able to, will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. For the one who is not for the one who is not against us is for us. For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. Notice what John says? He was not following us. John has placed himself in a position that only Christ occupies. 
Let me say that again. John has placed himself in a position that only Christ occupies. Okay, listen, I am absolutely guilty of this. Anybody else out there? I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying I get it and it's sinful and we're human and I get it. Jesus' response is in the Greek present tense, which has a continuing effect, like I said. We need to be careful about making an us-them distinction with fellow Christians. It doesn't mean that they can't be an error, but we should not exclude others from our fellowship so quickly. Verse 42. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell. Where their worms, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. Jesus immediately shifts to talking about the severity of sin. We don't exclude, but we don't excuse either. And that begins with ourselves. The warning is for causing others to sin, especially our fellow Christians, which is what Jesus means by these little ones. We often sin in the church by excluding or excusing. Mm, that's good. We often sin in the church by excluding or excusing. I say that's good because I stole it from my husband. I didn't come up with that. <laughs> we need to love all without excusing sin especially our own. Sin is so severe that it took our God going to the cross to pay for. Never forget it or excuse your own sin. Never exclude others because we are all sinners saved by grace. All right, we are done. We cannot thank you all enough for being part of the Bold Movement. We wanted to let you know that everything we do in this ministry is 100% free, with the exception of a few incentives for our financial supporters. These include discounts on our merchandise, additional resources on our website, and early access to all of our content. If you believe in what we are doing and would like to consider helping a few girls out, would you pray about joining us as a sponsor? We have plans ranging from $1 a month to $25 a month. And with your donations, you are ensuring that we can give you, among other women, content to help you better understand your Bible. If you cannot afford to help, we can definitely use your prayers. If you like us, would you rate and review our podcast? This helps get us out there so that others can find it too. Also, please check us out at www.theboldmovement.com. Ladies, remember, go out and be bold.